Father, I thank you that in Psalm 34, it says that the Lord is near to those who are brokenhearted, to those who are crushed in spirit. And maybe this morning when we woke up, we wouldn't have, you know, been like, that's the word, that, that describes me. But some of us do feel brokenhearted or have felt brokenhearted lately or have felt crushed in spirit, exhausted, tired, confused. And so, Father, I, I kind of want, want to claim that promise this morning and, and ask that we would experience that promise this morning and that we'd be really aware of your presence. We're, we're not promised answers, but we're promised your presence. And so we just pray um, that there'd be a real sense of your presence with us this, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, hey guys, if you're new, today is a, uh, it's a, it's a weird day to be new. I'll say that. Uh, normally it's a good day to be new. Uh, it was, it was supposed to be a good day. Today we're supposed to start a new series, uh, called Lavish. And it was going to be a series on, on, uh, generosity and on giving. And we're going to be talking, uh, yeah, so, so it was going to be that. And, uh, we're taking a break from our series in Romans. We're going to get into the last section of Romans, Romans 12 to 15 in the future. And a series is going to be called Lavish on the, the Lavish Grace of God in Ephesians 1 that's described and how we respond to that by being a gracious, generous people. And, um, and we'll get to that. But, but I, I, I just felt like God was highlighting something different. Um, la- two weeks ago, I was at a retreat, and uh, I had multiple people come over to me, and they were all spiritually mature, had insane, re- you know, uh, they would have been um, not recommended, but... Uh, I don't know why I'm blanking on this word right now. Um, like references, yeah, if you're going to go for a job. Uh, just, just people I really trust, really trust them. And I had most people come over to me, and I had them um, pray over me, and I had them uh, pr- uh, prophesy over me. And as a church, we believe in the continuation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit lifted in, uh, listed in Scripture. Uh, they need to be done in accordance to the way that the Scripture says they need to be done. Uh, but we believe that they still uh, are, are not just available, but, but should be pursued. And, and so, uh, and I was listening, and, and I can tend to be a little skeptical in those moments, but everyone prayed or prophesied something very specific, and they were in different rooms when they prayed these things over me, different contexts. Now, unless there was a conspiracy, which could be the case, I don't know what the conspiracy would be to encourage me too much, because <laughs> there wasn't like one, you know, it, it, the threat only really worked for me, and it was this, God is preparing to lift something off of your shoulders that you've been carrying that's not yours to carry. Uh, it says that there are, there are issues, there are people, there, there are different things that you just feel like you need to, to, to fix all the time or, or work through. And, um, and one of them had a really specific uh, application to, to some relationships um, that would be hard for me to, to, to see change or, or whatever. Um, and then there were other ones that, that just seemed like they had more to do with the responsibilities. And one of the ways I just asked, I said, hey, what is it? Like, what, is, what do you think? And one of them said, hey, I think it is like a relationship. Uh, she, she, by the way, she said, it's not sin. I want to be really clear. I don't think it's sin. Um, but I think it, it, it's just you have been weighed down. And then on the last night, there was this older guy in his 60s um, who I'd never met before. And he, and he laid his hand on me. He just said, Andy, I, I just want to pray over you. I feel like um, you're experiencing a, the spiritual version of like a postpartum depression. Now take what you know about postpartum depression, just set aside for a second. He's just saying you've been through something that should be exciting and life-giving, and it's, it's left you feeling really low is what, what he was saying. And, and he prayed that thing over me. And, and what all these things had in common was, there was everyone was assuming that there had been loss or perceived loss, that, that, that there had been stuff that was hard that I had going on. And I haven't been walking around thinking my life's hard. 
But I didn't realize, as I thought through, as trying to interpret the prophecies the first night, especially before I talked to people and got a little more uh, specifics, I realized, man, this could be like 10 different things because there's been so much on my back. And I haven't been super cognizant and aware of what those things are. And, and then I was, I was preparing to start the series on generosity today. And uh, as a church, again, we're going to be starting... Uh, be taking on, we're going to be starting a season. We're going to pray through our generosity and our commitment to the mission of God together. And one of the things we were going to do was to bring to your attention as a congregation that in the last three months, last six months, but the last three months, um, our giving's been down a considerable amount. And one of the points I was going to make was that our giving isn't going down because our members who are, who are here are giving less than they used to. Uh, many of you are generous and you've kept your giving amount the same for some time now. But the key reason our giving is down is because we've lost 27 members of this church over the last 18 months since the pandemic started. And I just felt like the Spirit of God say we need to talk about the loss of the past before we can talk about the direction and vision for the future. Now, if you guys know me, and many of you do, that's not a word from Andy. <laughs> I'm an Enneagram 7. I'm like, bat negative emotions, let's get out of here. I, I like to dream. I like to help people walk into their dreams and their calling. I'm not the guy that's like, man, I just love to grieve pain or talk about pain. But, but I was thinking, and, and not, even just, not even just this idea that we've lost a lot of people as a, a corporate church, but a lot of you, I know so many of your stories, you've experienced loss in these last 18 months. And, and really, I don't just even need to be a pastor. Those are stories that are everyone in our world, has been experiencing tremendous losses, some bigger than others, but we've experienced them. You all have had something you were looking forward to that was canceled in the last 18 months. We all have had dreams that don't look exactly like we thought they would look. Some of them are smaller, like I always thought when I got to this time in my life as a as a, um, in my career or as a parent or, or in my marriage, whatever it is, I thought it would look like this, but because of COVID, it looked real different. I remember talking to a couple who got married during the pandemic, and they were like, man, our wedding, we, we've pushed it back twice, and our wedding is just not shaping up. I, I, I think they, and I know they enjoyed their wedding, but, but man, this is just hard. Like, it's just the, some of the decisions we're having to make are just not what I would have wanted to be making. Some of us with our, with our parenting, like parenting and schooling looks a lot different right now um, than it used to. And then we have just so many of the other grievings. So again, I, I think we're, we're supposed to talk about grieving this morning. And just full disclosure, I feel like the Spirit led me to this in the last two days. Um, and I'm not totally sure how it's going to shake out. But God's people throughout Scripture are called to lament the losses in their life, like over and over Funerals in, in the Jewish community, and to this day, in, in Orthodox communities, they're, they're a week long. Like, what are you doing this week? I'm grieving. It's not just celebration of life. I'm not saying celebrations of life are bad, but to, to celebrate, you have to also admit, if they're worth celebrating, they're worth missing. And we're so bad as a culture at just going, man, I'm real sad. That's why we're so angry. We're afraid and we're sad, and, and it's so much easier to be angry and outraged than it is to go, this is awful, man. Like the way we've, you know, the whole Afghanistan political thing, there's governments involved, so it's inherently political, but honestly, just thinking through the families and what they're going through in Afghanistan, 
before we get to blame, should weigh on us. I remember after one of the um, officer-involved shootings like a year ago, uh, again, you always get like a couple minutes. It was a murky one. It was a weird one. Um, but, it, but, but, but at the end of the day, someone is shot in front of their kids. Someone has to pull that trigger. Someone has to experience the weight of that bullet. And in society, we went straight to um, whose fault is it? And you, and you need to get there, but, but, but it's like, man, it's a tragedy. Before we even get into who's fault, it's like, it's a tragedy. Someone was shot in front of their kids, regardless of what's going on with them or, or where we were. But man, we so quickly move, before we lament, we, we move quickly. And, and I see this in, in families and in relationships and in churches, and I can go on and on and on. But as a culture, we do not know how to grieve our losses. And as people, we don't know how to grieve our losses. Now, here's the thing. Uh, as I talk about grief this morning, um, there might be one of two camps who, who pop up as I talk about this. And the first one is this. is um, One, it could be, man, my life's been pretty good. Um, people have it worse than me. I don't have anything to grieve. Okay? Now, it's true. Your life may be better than other people's, or, or currently you may be enjoying better circumstances than other people. But, but that's, that doesn't change the fact that you have stuff to grieve. If you compare your pain to other people's pain, I'll, you can always find someone who has it worse. That's not the point, is the pain is the pain you're experiencing based on your background and in, in, in your life experiences and your desires and your dreams and your circumstances and your losses. In this moment, here's what hurts to you. Even if other people would go, that seems simple to me. Well, that's because that's who they are. and they have, it, You are you. And so I just want to say um, that's important. Some of you guys, on the other end, you might go, man, I just have so much heaviness. I have so much to bear. I can't even consider grieving because I just feel like I'd fall apart. And so what I want to say is that there's more to grieve than we may realize. But as far as of Jesus, the way we grieve needs to be different. We've all experienced loss and pain. Um, it's not are you grieving, by the way. We all respond to pain, trauma, loss. We all respond to it. The question isn't are you responding to it, it's are you responding to it well. Uh, by not looking at something, you're doing something. The choice to not engage it is a choice to engage something else. And so um, if we don't deal with the stuff that hurts us, I just want to say this, it will hurt others. It will rob us of a deeper intimacy with God. It will keep us shallow in our relationships. And the irony of, of the fear of looking at what hurts is so often the fear is if I look at it, I'm going to be trapped in it. Like if I open that door, I can't get back out that room. And, and the reality, though, is that, that that's not true. The reality is, is that until you deal with it, you're always connected to it more than you want to be. It's just not on your terms or on the terms of Jesus. It's on the terms of whatever that thing was. And the enemy loves to go, yep, that's you. That's the defining event. That, that will always be the truest thing about you. It will always shape your lenses. It will always impact your relational patterns. It will always, always, always. But actually, what we want to do is go, okay, what was this thing? How did it impact me so I can move forward into freedom. Does that make sense? I'm after freedom. I'm not after being sad. But to move into to the future, we have to acknowledge where we've been. Is this making sense? Okay. Does this seem like a random, random week? Cool. Okay. All right. I haven't felt this nervous in a, in a while. So I have two points. Uh, number one, why we need to grieve. Number two, um, how we should grieve as followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus. 
Now, I know I mentioned earlier, because uh, I'm an Enneagram 7, and I've got a leadership gift, and I'm future-oriented, that uh, grieving is not natural to me. But what I want to say is it, it doesn't just not come natural to me. It's not natural for anyone. The need to grieve is universal. The, abil- the, the natural ability to grieve is, is, is the opposite of universal. I don't even know what that would be. It's universally true that we, that we, we aren't good at it. And that's, um, that's for a reason. Because the Bible teaches that we were created to live life with God in a, in a, in a place of, of beauty and perfection. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, it says this. The Lord God took the man and placed him in the garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. So God creates the world. He creates it good. He creates it perfect. He calls it Eden. Uh, Eden means it's a place of delight or a place of pleasure. And Eden is a place where life is as God intended it to be. It's where life is as God intended it to be. When you think of Eden, think of a place where humans are in a perfect relationship with each other, a perfect relationship with the environment around them and with God himself. Uh, Eden's a place of wholeness and completeness. There's an unbelievable amount of delight and pleasure and you need to know this, that we were created this way. By the way, you might go, man, you think God created people? We do. Uh, we're not getting bogged down into how God created us. You could use a d- bunch of different ways to create us. But we do believe as a church that God created us intentionally out of love, that it wasn't an accident. That's, that's where, where, where we're at. And, um, and that this God loved us and wanted to share relationship with us. And he created us not uh, most uh, uh, ancient religions. The storyline of creation is there were two gods who were fighting and one God, won, and, and he, created, he created earth. He like threw earth. He like threw a, a, a chunk of the universe at another God, and it broke. And then earth was one of those, and on accident people were made. But this is a different storyline. And in the Hebrew scripture, says God created us intentionally with love in mind, desiring relationship with us. It's important for you to know this, uh, and, and, and that he wanted us to experience abundant life at the very beginning. Eden is, is life as it's meant to be lived. It's joy, delight, pleasure. A lot of people have been told in really sad religious churches, but also by secular culture, this lie that God's like a hater. He's a cosmic killjoy. He made all these amazing gifts for us to experience, but he doesn't want us to experience them. But, but that really is a lie. God created us for delight and joy. That's what, again, Eden literally means. He wants us to experience love and pleasure. And we have moments in this life that are like a taste of Eden, like a taste. It's not true of every time my family sits down for a meal, but there are times when I sit down with my family and it's just the way it should be. Um, Maria's been uh, living with us for a little while now, and she said, man, the other night, I just want you to know, I was so blessed just watching your kids share at the table. Like, they feel safe. They know they're loved. They're encouraging each other. Again, that's not how it always is. We have many dinners outside of Eden. But there are absolutely moments where you're like, Calvin's not complaining about the food. Everyone's getting enough attention where they don't need to act out. They feel seen. They feel loved. They're even encouraging each other. That's a parent home run night. It's like, man, this is just it. Like, everyone knows they're safe. Everyone knows they're loved. No one's competing. God created us to be in, in, in relational harmony. God created beauty, right? Like the earth could look like other planets. I don't know if you've seen other planets. They're just not doing what we're doing down here. 
There's a lot that's broken about this world. There's a lot of ugliness in this world. There is a lot of beauty, natural beauty in this world. I told the story a million times. First time I went to Cape Town, South Africa, I just saw the cliffs in the water. I started crying. That wasn't because someone was playing like a, you know, a B minor key on a keyboard to get me to cry at the end of an evangelistic revival. I'm just like, man, whoa. God created music. He commands us to sing. He gives us creativity. He created sex. Procreation could be boring. You could lay eggs. <laughs> the March of the Penguins is like a cool documentary. What a way to make love and make babies. And it's cold and sad. He goes, ah, oh, we're going to make it fun. I haven't gotten into the ways that it's been abused or wrongly used. I'm just saying what he intended it to be as he then. You know, food and drink. I've had some phenomenal fancy meals before, and then there's other moments where I'm having a fairly simple dish that's just perfect. Jackie and I, about every two months, we go on a date night uh, to, we go every week on a date night, but every, every, I'd say about every two months, we go to a place called Charles and Denora. It's a restaurant at the Pearl in Point Loma. And like, I can't recommend anything on the menu because it's changing all the time, except for their French fries. Those French fries, they're, outsta they're outstanding. They are outstanding. Oh, that's a bad food, right? You could be, liquid IV could be the way God keeps you alive. He could have gone, you know, we're just going to do IVs. He made sustenance something that could be a delight. Even naturally, without gnarly preparation, there are things in this world that are just delicious. There's commands to, to drink and dance in the Old Testament. There's a command to get enough wine to party in the Old Testament. He creates celebration. And because he's the designer of all these great gifts, he knows how to best use them. And, and we often think, again, I, you know, as humanity, we said, I got it. I'm going to do my own thing, uh, right? And, and, and the reality is, is that when we do it our own way, it doesn't work. He created us. He designed us. He knows us. He's like, you can do food or sex or relationships your way or my way, but I promise my way is better. The breakdown of dysfunction, it's not the way it's supposed to be. So again, Jesus calls us to do abundant life with beautiful rhythms with ourselves, with God, with others, with the world around us. There's a book I read during Bible college called Not the Way It's Supposed to Be, a Breviary of Sin by a philosopher named Cornelius Plantinga. Plantinga. Um, Plantinga. That's how we pronounce it. Yeah, Plantinga. And he talks about sin as the vandalism of shalom. By the way, um, uh, not the way it's supposed to be. The, this book on sin is like the best thing on sin ever. It hits 10 different aspects of sin. So it's really worth reading, understanding humanity. Uh, we think it through addictions and systems and all that stuff. Um, but really, sin is ruining the way it's supposed to be, which is Eden. So we're created for Eden, and then we walk away from God and go, we're going to do it ourselves. To save time, I'm not going to read through it, but you can read in Genesis chapter 3, there's the fall. Don't get caught up on the fruit, get caught up on the intention, okay? If you just write your name randomly, I remember I was in middle school, and uh, West Chula Vista, Chula Vista Middle School, and girls would just write their name over and over again on, their, on pieces of paper and put them in their binder, if you guys remember that. It's like their name in bubble letters, their name in cursive, their name in old English, their name in like something wild. And then they'd also write the name of the boy they liked, like hearts, different kinds of hearts, right? Writing your name is no, it doesn't mean anything inherently, but if you sign your name to a mortgage document, it's a different thing. To an immigration document, it's a different thing. To a lawsuit, it's a different thing. You guys see what I'm saying? Uh, and so it's the intention. God could have handed them a pen and a paper. 
don't get caught up on the fruit. It's, it's the intention. They said, we want to be independent from God. We're going to do our thing our own way, and life has fallen apart since then. One guy said this. I just think this is so helpful. He says, it's as if the earth said to the sun, I want to be the center of the solar system, and the sun granted that request. The solar system would come unraveled just because the sun gave the earth what it asked for. So when God granted our wish to be at the center of our lives, things began to unravel, and death enters the world. And we've talked about this before, but death hits us in so many different ways. Death is life as it is not supposed to be. It's emotional death. It's the wounds we carry. It's closely connected to relational death. The things that have been done to us, the things we've done to others, Relationships are never quite what you want them to be. We're abused or we're abandoned. We're physically abandoned or we're emotionally abandoned as kids. Remember the first time I was sitting with a counselor and I, I looked at him, he just said, um, do you realize you're never going to get from your parents what you want and you're never going to be able to tell them that they couldn't give it to you? Can God be enough? Can he release that? And we started a journey, but that hit hard because that wasn't the way it was meant to be. There's psychological death. We all have a fragile sense of identity. Our identity is connected like fantasy football or TV shows or if someone likes us or not. Never mind we get into the deep waters of real rejection or abandonment or slander or adultery and all that stuff. There's spiritual death, right? There's that reality that we know we, we're not God, but we don't know who God is, and we're stressed out of our minds because of it. There's, a, there's existential crisis we often live in. There's uh, religions where you have to literally placate the gods. There's societal death. There's structures of power and sexual harassment and assaults and racism and the injustice of things like slavery and abortion. There's more slaves on earth today than there ever have been in the history of the world. There's environmental, we can go on and on and on. And then there's the one that we all think of that's at the heart of, you know, that's a part of this too, is just physical death. There's the breakdown of our bodies. There's physical health issues, mental health issues. There's cancer. There's miscarriages. There's, there's death. There's COVID-19. Now, what does this have to do with grief? Here's the idea. Every human being was created for Eden, but every human being is currently being born outside of Eden. We now live in a world where death and pain is all around us. And we'll never be able to fully escape it. But the crazy thing is we weren't designed or created to experience loss. Think about if you're in this perfect place, loss isn't on the menu. It's not on the table. Our soul isn't built for that. My son was joking last night. He's like, I don't know why they call them ATVs, all-terrain vehicles, because they can't go in the water. And they can't, they're not street legal. And I don't think they can even go in the snow. I think you need like a snowmobile. And I was like, that's a good point. It should be called like dirt terrain vehicles. It's designed for a certain thing. Your soul was not designed to experience death. This is why so many people, I'll get into that later. Uh, Meryl Vinon, some quote often lately. She said, in relationships, when we say hurtful things, or someone says hurtful things to us, we are wounding, no, sorry. In relationships, when we say hurtful things, we are wounding each other's souls, and we weren't designed to be wounded, All right? So it's no small thing. This is why loss hurts so much. 
grieving is, is um, it's simultaneously more common and deeper than we realize. The definition of grief I found helpful is this, is grief happens anytime we lose anything that we hoped would make this life more like Eden. Grief happens anytime we lose anything that we hoped would make this life more like Eden. Uh, Ashley and I went to a conference, um, I don't know, two months ago about helping people to see, see people healed and, and grow emotionally. And the guy leading the conference said this, named uh, Dr. Terry Wardle. He says, every loss in life deserves an appropriate season of grieving. Whether you've lost your favorite person or you've lost your favorite pen, Grieving is a way in which we take the emotional upheaval and bring it to the Lord. If we don't let emotions up and out before God, those emotions internalize, and they give us physical, psychological, and spiritual problems. Pen or a person. Again, your grieving shouldn't look the same for both, but, but it's a loss. And so for you, maybe, maybe it was a, a relational loss, or maybe for you it's you feel left behind in life because you aren't where you thought you would be in your career or in your family life or whatever it is. Maybe you, maybe you, maybe you, you finally got the family that you thought you wanted and it's harder than you thought. Maybe you've experienced betrayal, this last season, financial loss, death of a loved one. We can go on and on. Also, did you know that some losses happen as a result of a positive thing? So losses, this just isn't, I'm losing this forever. It's a positive thing, right? Clive's in the back. I don't want to, you know, he's an introvert. Don't look at him, okay? He's amazing. He loves Jesus. He's learning, relearning some tech stuff. It's amazing that he's growing up into a man that can do things I couldn't do when I was his age. It breaks my heart. I can't hold him. He's not a baby anymore. I don't want to, you know, I want to change his diapers or whatever, but I, but I miss him as a baby. It's simultaneously positive that he is growing and we're doing our job, and that's awesome, but it hurts that he's not who he used to be. You could um, finally get out of uh, what was a job just, that just got you through college that had great relationships inside of it, and then you got the dream job you wanted, and you lost all those relationships, and on paper it's positive. You're getting the job you went to school for or you had dreamed about, but then you're gutted you're losing these people. You could be moving neighborhoods to a house that's better for your family in this season of life, and it's great, but you're still leaving behind neighbors that you, you grew to love. Do you see what I'm saying? When we moved to a second kid, we had Calvin. You know, we moved to two kids. That's a positive thing, but it, it changes the, what it used to be. And then when we had Olivia, and we can go on and on and on, that there are even positive things that, that it's just different. Well, there's no one, that we don't, and a lot of times we miss that because we always want someone to blame. We either pretend or we, or we blame someone. We pretend we're fine or we have to make a villain out of the loss. I'm hurting because I want someone to blame. Boom, 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 which is a lot of our, our discourse right now politically. And so we grieve because we weren't, we, we, we grieve because we live in a fallen world and we weren't designed for it. But also we should grieve so we might have deeper intimacy with Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 4, Verses 14 to 16, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have, this is the best news in the world, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every 
way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. That thing that's really hard, Jesus doesn't go, you're ridiculous. He goes, I know, I know. It's why I came and it's why I'm coming again and it breaks my heart and I'm going to fix it one day. But for now, I know. I get you. I see you. I acknowledge you. It says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may, we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. And so we grieve because we have to in a fallen world, but we also grieve to experience deeper intimacy with Jesus. Again, many of us never grieve, so we do one of two things. We either fake it, and our, even in our relationship with God, we're doing like Instagram prayer. Like, I look pretty. Hashtag, he's, you're like, no filter. He's like, I know there's a filter. I'm God. <laughs> I know you have a mask on. I know you're hiding. I know you're bummed out, and I can handle it. So we fake it, or I think in our church, we're more the second one, by the way. We're, we're more real than we need to be at times. We have to just don't know where to take it. We have to bring it to each other instead of Jesus, too. Or we numb ourselves. We numb ourselves. A pastor named Ray Orland, he said, your sin is often a devil-shaped remedy that you are trying to force into a God-shaped need. You're trying to cope, trying to fix it yourself. Uh, Peter Scazzaro talks about this idea of, um, he talks about when, when Abraham is promised that he'll conceive with Sarah. Uh, he's 100. It's taken a while. You know, I'm waiting right now. I have a, a, a thing in my life I am waiting on, and there's not much I can do about it in my own life right now, Andy Rogers, and it's killing me a little bit. He's given this problem the same thing. He's like, we're, we're doing the stuff we're supposed to do to make a baby. And he's waiting, and he's waiting, and he's 100. It's hard to believe. And then it says, um, you know, Sarah pitches him on this idea, like, hey, what if you kind of connected with our, uh, you know, conceived a child with our, our servant Hagar. And, uh, and so he does that, and he has this baby named Ishmael, and, and God's like, you tried to take into your own hands and make a promise I gave you happen in your own power, and it's Ishmael's not it. And he said, in life, we often beget a bunch of Ishmaels when we can't grieve. We go, I'll take this pain into my own hands and I'll find a way to make the outcome happen. But when we do that, guys, we miss intimacy with God because there's knowing him through that struggle. Like the children of Israel looking to an idol to heal their pain they experienced after centuries of abuse and oppression in Egypt. Behind so much of our sin is an ungrieved loss. We move to things like addictions. This will make me more comfortable, but over time you'll get very uncomfortable if you're addicted. You end up in abusive relationships. I'll get what my parents or so-and-so never gave me from romantic sexual relationships. It could be uh, maybe you avoid people. That's helpful over time, but the loneliness and isolation adds up, and it hurts too. I don't care how introverted you are. God designed you to be in community. Maybe not with as many people as I'm in community with, but like three to five people that know you deeply. Maybe you avoid things that trigger you, and there's a reality to being triggered by things, but it's important, the goal should be to be less sensitive to what triggers you, not to stay sensitive, to, to, to grow and to heal. And so how do we deal with our pain? Uh, how we deal with our pain is one of the greatest factors in determining, what, in determining whether or not we will grow into who Jesus is calling us to be. Again, so much of our sin is rooted in pain or grief avoidance. And here's what I want to say. It's safe 
to bring God our grief. We don't have to avoid it. We don't have to pretend. We don't have to numb ourselves. We can bring it to him. In, in the Psalms, the, the, the worship songs of Israel, there's 150 Psalms in your Bible, and they're, they're to be sung. It says you know, to the choir director, if you read them, uh, they're to be sung before God. And most scholars think between 50 and 100 of them can be classified as Psalms of lament. So minimum 30%, one, one in three Psalms of lament, which are, I'm so sad in your presence. A lament, uh, a scholar defines lament this way. I thought this was so helpful. Lament is bringing our emotional pain before God as an act of worship while deepening our faith in him. Lament is bringing our emotional pain before God as an act of worship while deepening our faith in him. A lot of us, we don't bring him our pain and we pretend we have faith. As opposed to, I am following you, Jesus, but this is so hard. I actually need you to follow you. You said apart from me, I could do nothing like it's true. I'm too weak. The Psalms teach us that we don't have to be stoic people who never smile or cry. Religious people are fake. Disciples of Jesus should not be fake. Disciples of Jesus should be the realest people in the world because we follow a Savior who died to take away the guilt of the bad things done by us and to take away the shame of the bad things done to us. Instead, we're defined by what he did for us and the fact that he is with us. We can look reality right in the eye and call a spade a spade. Our culture loves to like call things different. Like, no, that's what that is, and that's what that is in my life, and it's okay. Because I got Jesus with me. Psalm 13. I'll close here in a second. It says this. It says, how long, Lord? Imagine this is a worship song. Like, imagine a cold just gets up here right now, we do this. How long, Lord, will you forget me? Forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I store up anxious concerns within me, agony in my mind every day? How long will my enemy dominate me? Consider me an answer, Lord my God. Restore brightness to my eyes, otherwise I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have triumphed over him, and my foes will rejoice because I am shaken. Some of us, we could, you know, we might change the language a little bit, but we're like, how long is this going to go? I'm tired. Are you serious? So he's naming reality. This is what's happening, and this is how it feels. But then he moves to that last part of lament, this deepening faith. But I have trusted in your faithful love. My heart will rejoice in your deliverance. I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me generously or graciously. This psalm, this is kind of us. This is actually, I would say this is us if we're healthy. I don't downplay or deny what's hard in life. I bring it to the Lord. I say how I'm feeling. And then I go, but I'm going to trust you as we walk through this thing. I don't know how it's going to work out. I'm going to trust you because I know who you are. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to keep following you. And I'm not pretending it's easy. I'm going to continue to follow you as it's hard. We're messy people learning to trust in the steadfast love of Jesus. In John chapter 11, uh, it's this story of, of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And in John chapter 11, verse 32, I'm just going to read these three verses and we'll, we'll close here. It says, as soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, 
she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Just that moment of honesty. This is what my reality is. Right? If you were here, my job would look different. My kids would look different. Infertility, miscarriage, divorce, death, the diagnosis, the job ending, the accounts falling apart, whatever it is for you in the season that you're in. If you, man, if you're really God, I thought you'd be doing a different thing. Verse 3 says, when Jesus saw her crying, and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him? He asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. And we know he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But catch this. He says, it says, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. This is an ugly, dry heave. He doesn't pretend. He doesn't, like, pretend it's better. If anyone could go, he's in a better place, trust me. I've been there. He doesn't get mad. Who are you to question God? I'm Jesus. You're Mary. Not even like my mom, like a different Mary. We're not going to have pictures of you in cathedrals someday. I'm Jesus. Like, you can't question what I'm doing. And he also doesn't gloss it over. Guys, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to from the dead. It's, it's going to be fine. He dives into the pain, even though he knows he's going to resurrect uh, Lazarus. Romans 12, 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. I feel like Jesus here lives out for Thessalonians 4, 13. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep. It's New Testament shorthand for our dead so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. You'll grieve, but not like the rest. We know, Revelation 21, we know that one day Jesus is going to make everything right, and that's a hope we have. We should grieve with hope, but we also grieve in reality now. Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, but he didn't go, I'm going to raise him from the dead. Everyone stop crying. He's like, Lazarus wasn't designed to die. Revelation 21, 1 through 4 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Jesus is going to do that. That's a hope we have. But we're allowed to cry in the meantime as we have hope. And so what I want to do right now is um, I want to call Hillary up real quick. Um, She leads our pre-service prayer and... um, I feel like she had a prophetic word. I also call up um, Carlo and Nicole. And I asked her to share. She felt like God gave her a prophetic word for our time. So I asked her to share that. Um, and then I'm going to set up our, our response time. Hi, guys. Good morning. Um, this morning, uh, I felt like I got a picture of someone um, taking a piece of fruit from a tree and taking a bite. Um, and the fruit was really sour. Um, wasn't a good piece of fruit. And I felt like that picture 
um, was really like a picture of the fruit of my life and of yours, that um, others are going to taste the fruit that we produce from the season that we're in right now. Um, for myself, I've watched the last two years um, through a lot of suffering. I mean, COVID in general brought out a lot, but I've also um, faced some physical health problems. I've walked through depression. Um, I've had some family issues. The list goes on. I can share more if you want to hear. <laughs> um, and also hear how Jesus has really met me in that. Um, but I felt like God was asking this morning, what fruit am I growing out of my circumstances right now? Um, and I also want to ask you that this morning. Um, is it sour or bitter? Or is it sweet? And does it taste like a hint of Eden, like Andy was saying? Um, is it a byproduct of experiencing um, Jesus' transformation right now? Um, and so one of the things... Um, that I feel like we're, we're going into is like sharing with other people um, and sharing in sa safe spaces like this are, are one way, one of the ways that we can really engage our grief um, and we can process through it and we can allow others to, to point us back to Jesus and experience like that transformation so that when others experience us, um, they'll experience like what we've gotten from Jesus, like that comfort, that peace, the hope. So, um, so what I want to do is um, we can hit the lights. So I'm going to uh, a couple different response, um, a couple different ways we can respond. First one though is I want to take a second. If you guys would just, uh, I'm gonna just read some questions to you guys. If you guys would take a second, kind of contemplate these questions. Uh, uh, and the first one is this: is what has changed that you are struggling to accept and trust God with? What has changed that you're struggling to accept and trust God with? It could be a desire that's taking longer to happen than you'd like, a job situation, a relationship status, a, a, a relationship status that you're not in or one that you're in that you're struggling with. Um, Follow-up question is, uh, really, this one's really written, what have you actually lost? Um, this is, what are you going to miss that has likely changed forever? What have you lost or what are you going to miss that's like, likely changed forever? And I want you to just sit for a second and Carla will play over you guys. Just ask the spirit if there's anything and see, see what comes to mind. encourage you to keep your eyes closed as you do this. heart, uh, 
I'd also encourage you to actually tell God how you feel about this thing that's come to mind. It can be really raw. You can handle it. Feel sad, tell him you're sad. If you're angry, tell him you're angry. also encourage you to tell them what you need. So you got something that's come to mind, you told them how you feel, but would you also tell them what you need from him? Ask him for what you, you need from him. those of you that feel like you're in a sweet spot with prayer, I want to encourage you to continue to do that. Um, for, for the rest of us, I, I really wrestled with this. I think one of my, I feel like one of my jobs, often as a pastor, especially with a gathering, is that you'd walk out of here feeling really pumped and excited. And I think part of that's just I'm really uncomfortable with it, and I want you guys to like me, and I all that stuff I just talked about with the culture we're in. Um, but grief takes time. And so, um, you know, I, I want to I encourage you towards that prayer exercise so that you'd be aware. Um, but I also, and again, I, I'm, I'm trusting the spirit on this. I don't feel, I, I'm not excited about this next thing, but I actually did feel like um, we should open up the mic for people to share uh, their answers to some of these questions. There's no pressure to do this if you're not ready for that. But um, I really feel like the Holy Spirit's put that on me and, and I can't let that go and I think it's good um, for a couple reasons but, but I think it's a chance for people to give voice to their grief to say man this is what's happened this is what I'm feeling but it's also a chance for the rest of us to know what is happening and, and who might need more help uh, and so I would say by the way again in a fallen world in a life full of loss uh, there's a lot we could say but, but I'd love for you to think about the last 18 months in particular the last 18 months to just share, man, here's what's happened and, and here's why it's hard for me to trust God with it. Um, and, uh, and so I want to open it up for that for a little while. Uh, again, it could be, it, it could be awkward. It could be, it could be a bunch of things. It could be beautiful. Um, but I wanted to open it up. Um, and, uh, and then also if you, if you, um, want prayer, uh, let's say you share and you want prayer, uh, it'd be helpful to, um, say, Hey, there's this. And then I'd encourage you to actually like, have someone pray with you before you leave. Um, 
And so I'm going to open it up now if anyone wants to, to share what's going on with them right now. Um, you don't have to get super in-depth, um, but, but if anyone's willing to share what's, um, what they're struggling to accept and trust God with or what they've lost, you know, in these past 18 months, what's changed that they just didn't think would change um, what they're struggling with. And I'm okay to wait a minute. 